On this episode of History Worth Saving, we're talking to the most winning theater coach in all of Texas. 18 UIL State visits, seven wins in one act play, 35 trips to the NFL Nationals, one national champion in the top six, probably 10 plus times. I'm talking about the work of Charlotte Brown. The numbers really don't matter because what does is her indelible mark on her students, present company included. Charlotte Brown, thanks for being on History Worth Saving. Well, thanks for having me. When I was a kid, walking into your classroom, uh, probably in the fourth grade, you're a big high school teacher, and I sat down in your room, and you said, come on, kids, we're going to go onto the stage. And this was a summer program that you had, and we all walk onto the stage, the big auditorium stage, not a theater, but a, an auditorium stage there at the high school. And all of the lights were on. And I remember you sitting there on this chair, and you said, in here, anything is possible. You can be anything. Nothing is off limits. And you should never feel silly or intimidated by anything that you feel like you need to do in here. And I never forgot that. And I'm probably paraphrasing because you probably didn't say anything like that, but that's what I remember. <laughs> and, and, you know, taking that forward, uh, it was, it was a, a monumental shift in my life and I know in, in a lot of other kids who got into that program with you. And you started us early, and that's how you got to 18 UIL state visits and seven championships. I mean, remarkable career, but it's not by the numbers, is it? No, it's not by the numbers, but the thing that most students need to be, uh, uh, they need to wake up to the fact that anything is possible. Well, the main thing that it did, this program, because it, we traveled all over the all over Texas with TFA and we traveled all over the United States with, with NFL, was that it opened up the vision of students to what was out there. If you are born in Portland, Texas, uh, which is, you know, the little suburb of Corpus Christi, and you never get out of it, uh, you don't set your goals any higher. And once you start going out and seeing what's available out there, it opens up your whole visibility of what you could do. And the thing that was wonderful about Portland was that I had incredibly... I thought gifted students. They were bright, bright kids. And if I could get my claws into them early enough, they could do wonderful things for me. And I had, you know, great football players that came into theater and actually did did both. Of course, the football team never won state. Uh, I think they made it there one time. But, it, I mean, they tried hard. They worked hard. But they needed to know, and I think we gave them that, that little window to find out that there was a lot of other things that they could do in life that they would enjoy and love and that they would make good money doing. And that's all you need to do with a bright kid is show him the way to go and give him a little pat and get him started, and he'll take off on his own. wanted to start out in radio that was your dream and life yes. was to be on the radio and then <laughs> you found out what radio people make 
very, very poor salaries. Teachers make very, very poor salaries, too. But the year that I was doing my student teaching, I suddenly discovered that I really liked it. More importantly, the kids liked me. But I would be making a lot more. I'm embarrassed to say how much money I would be making. But, oh, well, this will shock everybody to death. If I had worked in radio, I would have made $2,400 a year. But starting out in teaching, I would make $3,900 a year. This was in 1960, okay? So even though it seems like a pittance now, at the time, that was very important. And then the most important thing I found out when I did my student teaching was that I absolutely loved every moment of it. What was the thing that, uh, that you loved the most about it that kept you in there for all those years? I think that being able to watch the gleam in a kid's eye when suddenly he gets up and he talks and everybody in the room around him actually listens or laughs or reacts in some way is the most incredible thing in the world. Most people don't realize what their power is, their power over other people if they are a good speaker. And when they discover that, it's like, you know, you've given them the best gift in the world. You are our Harold Hill, to make a theater (laughs) reference. You really were. I mean, you showed up, you sold the band uniform, you sold the the instrument, and the kids came, (laughs) and you just bamboozled everybody is what I, that's the only (laughs) word I can think of. The whole town would show up for your shows, and everybody left there saying, oh, my God, that was the greatest thing ever. I've, I've never seen anything like that. And there was this energy that, that came with this program that people were proud of in the community, and they showed up. And I, and I bring this up because most people don't think of Texas, small-town Texas, uh, with a winning theater department. They think of it as, as football Friday Night Lights, but the Friday Night Lights in Portland, Texas, uh, were not only the football or you know the football stadium, but it was also the stage. And as you said, you had a lot of people from both the football team and the folks uh, who just wanted to do the stuff in your program uh, that showed up. But it was a, it was an entire community effort that was was supported, and I think that's just incredible. What what was the secret sauce that you laid down out there uh, to to the make most that important- happen? The most important thing was getting those butts in the seats one time. If we could get, and I tell my students, if you can get your next door neighbor, of course your parents, but your next door neighbor, your friends, whatever, to come see one show, they will come back. And that's exactly what happened because I cannot tell you how many people would come up to me after show up. I had no idea that high school students could do something like that. I always would laugh and I'd say, well, actually, it's not just, uh, you know, that they're doing that they're high school students. They're doing what some shows on Broadway don't do. Because I know the first time I ever went to Broadway, I, I saw some wonderful things. But I also saw some things that weren't that good. And I thought, well, my kids can do that well. 
I can remember taking one of my students, John Wager, was in a group that we went to uh, to New York, and we went to the Theater Guild uh, for something. I can't even remember what. And this guy that was with us, he said, well, what did you just do? And I said, oh, we just did Barnum. I said, this boy here played Barnum. And he said, oh, really? Well, can, can you do a little bit of it for me? And so he said, well, sure. So he started singing. He sang a section of it, and then he acted out a, a, some of Barnum's lines. And all of a sudden, we looked around, and the entire office from the Theater Guild was standing there watching. And when he finished, they all applauded. And I, he was so excited, and well, so was I, because these were, you know, New York professionals who thought how good this kid was. And it's not just Portland. It's any place that somebody cares enough to pull out the talent and make kids realize what joy it is to perform and what joy it is to communicate with other people. And what parent doesn't want to see that in their child, right? Exactly. Exactly. And the parents get just as involved as the kids do. I've, I was blessed with wonderful, wonderful parents who, you know, came out and helped and did anything that I wanted. We, we did a, a speech contest every year and we would have most of the community, you know, would come out and, and judge if we needed them to and do whatever, work at the concession stand or do whatever. But everybody becomes a part of it because if they become a part of the work that gets the people out there, the kids out, they also become a part of the kids' victories. And when the kids bring home the trophies and bring home the awards, uh, they're a part of that. And they're a part of seeing their student go on and become uh, an excellent part of, of their, you know, their society and their community because if they're not a silent majority, they're a majority that speaks up. And to talk about the, uh, the level that people would commit, I won't name names, but I know of one student who lived by himself in a, in a trailer <laughs> to finish yes. up in your program. I mean, down the, yeah. literally down the road from the school. In the trailer park. I mean, that's yes. the level of commitment that people would go to. And, you know, you had the guy down at Bo's Tire Barn uh, talking about this show and the, the fishing guide, like my dad, uh, talking <laughs> about this show. I'll never forget. I'll never forget my senior year. Uh, Dr. Miller showed up. And my dad, of course, who was incredibly practical, uh, you know, was sitting across the table. And Dr. Miller offered a theater scholarship for my first year at Sam Houston. And I remember my dad nearly jumping across the table to sign the paper, you know, like, by God, he's going to be a theater major. You know, those words never would have been uttered out of my father's mouth had it not been uh, for you. Now, I wasn't. I did it, you know, I took the money for a, a year or two, but uh, found my calling in the broadcast world. But but that's the, that's the level that people would commit uh, to this program. Was there one that stood out uh, to you about commitment? Oh, I can't even begin to tell you which one, because over the years, I've had so many incredible people. And the, the thing about it is, they were not all straight A honor students. These were students from every facet of the high school, you know, population. They were kids that you know, got into trouble or they were kids that were at the top of the valedictorian, salutatorian. But once they got in that theater room, they were all 
on the same level and they were all trying out for one thing and that was excellence and once they discover the power the power that's in being a good speaker a power in speaking and people want to listen to you nothing will ever change that and i i i can't ever forget how students would look when they would suddenly get realize that they had that power and I, you know there there wasn't a a boring moment in it <laughs> all those years Well, I bring up commitment because you had a saying, the harder I work, the luckier I get. And <laughs> you, I remember, I remember, you know, walking around there, you drove home this, this idea of, of a work ethic that, that was really only, you know, rivaled by your own. Uh, and, but you instilled that early on, uh, even from fourth grade, when I remember starting out with you in that summer program, uh, this idea that hard work would eventually pay off. Uh, talk a little well, bit about that, because that's commitment. Well, the thing is that most kids, you know, know that, that they get people tell them that they need to work hard. OK, but they don't tell them how the uh, rewards are instantaneous. I know when students would come into my room the first time and we'd all have them, I'd have them all get in a circle and get up and tell about themselves. Well, the first thing I would say to them was. You don't have to be worried about how anybody will act because in high school, you know, kids can be cruel. They can be mean to, to other students. And I said, but we don't have anybody in here that's going to be mean because we don't have anybody that's stupid because everybody realizes that they're going to have to get up and they're going to have to talk. And if they make fun of you, that's like taking a big sign and writing stupid on their forehead. And nobody wants to do that. So this would make for a good audience of people who would sit and listen. And when suddenly that person would stand up and start to talk about something that happened in their lives, some summer vacation, whatever, and there was 30-something people looking up at them, blinking their eyes and actually listening to them, that's a, a, a thought that never goes away. And suddenly they realize that that's a place where they are listened to and that people pay attention to what they have to say. Uh, that's unusual the, today. And I think that's one of the reasons why my kids were always so successful is that they were not afraid to get up and, and to talk. Um, I had my own grading system. I did things that were kind of off, maybe off the chart a little bit but they all they all seem to work i i don't think you could teach right now i was just thinking about that it, you know just hearing the word stupid come out of your mouth and I, i'm sitting here cringing going you know but it, it was it was the law of the jungle uh when you when you walked into your room because nothing was out of reach uh in no. charlotte brown's classroom and, and that's the that is the god's honest truth i remember friends uh, this is, of course, before the days of the Internet, uh, having to go look up words that you would use and then going, oh, oh, <laughs> you know, and then, and then realizing, you know, what what was being done. But, but my point in this is you treated us as the world was going to treat us. 
and that was that was something that that a lot of kids uh, never got anywhere except in there. And you were an early adopter of so many uh, so many things uh, from technology. I remember the the room looked like a, a computer museum for Apple Computer. I mean, you were one of the the early adopters of that technology. Uh, but but then everything else that went with it, uh, from the from the technical side of it uh, down to how we traveled, not in cars, but in a charter bus, not in a school bus, but a charter bus, because you realize <laughs> that we had to rest. We had to we had to be ready when we got there. So many things that you take for granted that you probably came up with. Um, is there one that stands out, you think, to, to most folks or to you in particular that you're really proud of? Uh, I think about when we traveled and that my kids always knew that we would be expected to do well. And it, it, it this is kind of a frightening thing, but there was a period there when we lived, we were at the old school, when we used to put up, you know, uh, the thing about each tournament on the wall. And we won every tournament that we went to for like four years straight. And I started to panic because I thought, my God, to the kids who get second the first time, it's going to be a disaster. So I had to to work it out with them, you know, saying, as long as we place first, second, or third, I'll be happy. Kids were always wanting, I, I never did anything to anybody, but they always acted like I was going to starve them or do something if they didn't do well, which wasn't the case at all. But, you know, as as long as I could make kids realize that as long as they gave me the best that they were capable of giving, that I would be very, very happy with them. And to me, that was important if if I could give them that, because then they could in turn give it out to students or people that they worked with. Uh, we were very fortunate to have some some brilliant students, but some people that were not afraid to work. And and I guess of all the things that I taught or tried to teach my kids, the top thing that you can give and that you can have is a good work ethic. If you don't have a good work ethic, if you are not willing to work, you know, a, a tremendous amount, you don't deserve your wins. Yes, we had a lot of wins, but yes, we worked hard. I've I've told people before I, at a speech tournament, you know, you always have a coach's lounge and people would get together with me and they'd say, okay, tell us your secrets. Tell us how you all have won so much. I said, well, okay, I'll tell you. I said, you got a piece of paper? I can tell you step by step. And I would start out, and by the time I got about to the third or fourth or fifth step, <laughs> invariably the answer would be, oh, my God, I could never work that hard. That's way too much. I would not do that much. My students would not do that much. Well, that therein lies the answer. Work is the answer, and you have to be willing to pay your time and your energy and have your students that want to do the same, and, and your students will. They will give you exactly what you give to them. That's That, I guess, is one of my secrets. Was there ever a time that you thought uh, 
you know, this is, I, I can't recover from this. Was there ever a moment in your own career that uh, your own advice, your own your own work ethic uh, paid off and you had to really push through it? I've never asked yeah, you I can, I, Yeah, I can tell you exactly when. When I got breast cancer and found out that I had to have chemotherapy and I had to have um, radiation, uh, the only show in my entire career that I ever had to cancel was South Pacific. I was doing the musical in the fall, and I could not do it because I would be so weak from the time I would get through with the chemotherapy that I couldn't go to rehearsal. So I gave it to somebody else to direct, and they couldn't manage to do it either, so I had to cancel it. And that was so depressing to me. But I found out from the doctor, from my cancer doctor, that the you know, breast cancer was pretty much going away. And that I had to, when I got through with chemotherapy, he said, okay, now you're going to go for six weeks every single day to radiation. That was scary. But I figured it out on the day that I finished radiation. I got to get in a, on a plane with my students to go to, I think it was San Jose, California. I can't remember, somewhere in the United States. And I thought, you know, if I can do that, I can do anything. I can keep making it. And I think that's why I made it for, you know, I taught till I'm like 78 years old, something like that, because that I found out that if I could make it through that breast cancer, I mean, I could go through all of the other things that I had. I had a... Uh, a kidney tumor that turned out to be cancerous. I had, uh, I can't even begin to tell you all the things that happened to me, but I made it through all of them. And if you can do that, you finally think, well, God, what can't I do? And you keep on trying. We really never thought you'd retire. We just thought they were going to take you out one piece at a time, like Johnny Cash did. <laughs> well, the truth of that matter is I did not want to retire, but I have macular degeneration. And even though the superintendent that I had at the time said, well, can't you wear a black patch over one eye and you could continue? <laughs> and I said, I can't really see myself being a pirate and wearing a patch over one eye. And after I found out that I would make $200 more a month after retiring than I did with what I was making teaching, I decided I was being silly. And yeah. it was it was ironic that I that I did retire when I did because COVID hit about a year and a half, two, two years later, and it would have been catastrophic for me anyway. So it worked out pretty well. Well, I remember the time. I remember it very well because I was a student back then when you had uh, your bout with cancer, and I remember oh, I remember everything that uh, that you went through back then. But you know, I I don't remember the depression. I don't remember that, and you 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 hit it so well from us. Uh, well, that's good. And, and, <laughs> yeah, you did. Well, I, but I remember the whole community uh, truly rallying behind you, um, and and really oh, standing standing there with you. I mean, it was remarkable. I'll never forget when I lost all my hair. So I, I've never had so much great coat. I got like, I think, 10 wigs. So I had I could wear all the way I wanted to wear my hair in any color, and I didn't have to bleach it. 
And then finally, when my hair started to come back in, I went to my beautician, which I had not been to in a long time. And I said, okay, my hair is coming back in. Bleach it. Because it was about seven different colors. And I can remember her saying, but it might all fall out again. I said, don't worry. I've got 10 wigs. It'll be fine. <laughs> the unsinkable so. Charlotte Brown. What do you want to, What do you want people to, to remember about you and about what's important? I mean, what's really, really important at the end of the day? I want them, every student that I taught, to go to work every day because that they want to and because they enjoy it. If I can have made uh, one student to the point where they know that when they, they get up and they go to work, that they're doing something that they love. Most people get up and go to work because they have to, to earn a living, not because they enjoy it. And I think it is, to me, it's heaven if you can get up and go and do something that you enjoy. And if I have furnished uh, some students with a way to do something that they enjoy, that they're proud of and that they enjoy, then I feel like that I've been successful. Well, you certainly have in my book. Wouldn't be here. (laughs) Wouldn't be here without you. Competition Uh, theater is the name of your book. Uh, You're going to have to go back and and redo some chapters because obviously COVID changed a lot of things, but uh, the fundamentals are there. And uh, for those of you that are wondering, yes, uh, it will eventually release, I'm sure, because we're all going to stay on her uh, until it does. You know, the thing that freaked me out the most at your uh, at your big celebration, we had a big retirement celebration for you back there at the old school. And a lot of us showed up for it. We all sound the same. Every <laughs> one of us. <laughs> we all sounded alike. Everybody that got up there, I thought, oh, my God. Everybody sounds the same. I mean, you, you, there's no telling how many people in the state of Texas uh, sound the same because of you. I don't know what that <laughs> well, says about wrong. the style, but there you go. <laughs> well, at least they're not talking like this because that they've got a southern accent that nobody can get around. Well, it pays uh, well to have that too now, but you know, it, yeah, no, I hear you. If you can put you. it on, if you can put it on when you need it, yes. <laughs> well, thank you for everything, Miss Brown. Uh, and well, I mean thank it. Thank you. We just love you, and uh, I'm glad you're still hanging around. And get that book finished, will you? Thank you, darling. You've been a doll. Okay, take care. You can find out more on HistoryWorthSaving.com to follow along with our newsletter, and of course, uh, subscribe to the podcast. As always, sure appreciate you being here. Stay tuned. We have more history worth saving coming up as season five salutes teachers continues. Glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs>